You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Rommel. So the Heat are off on Monday. Don't play again until Tuesday when they face the Toronto Raptors for the second game of their three-game road trip. It's the first game of a back-to-back set. The second game of that set is against the Boston Celtics to close out the road trip. But in the meantime, we still have to put on a show. And I'll just start it off with some personal news. This week is going to be a little difficult just to keep everybody apprised of the situation. Um, I may not have a podcast every day this week, not because I don't want to. As always, I love recording shows. I love being able to provide as much daily content for you all as possible. But unfortunately, I am in the process of moving. And so I may not be as available as possible. Uh, I may not have internet access for some nights. Um, I'm in the process of packing up everything and my life is kind of in disarray right now. My family and I are actually in the process of moving down to Miami again. And so in the short term, while that is an inconvenience for you all, it's also a positive in the long term. The reason why? Well, because I'm moving back to Miami gives me the opportunity to cover the team full time. So I will be attending every practice, every game, every shoot around, every session possible. I'll be there. I'll be covering any kind of media event or anything like that involving the heat. And so that means more player interviews, more up close coverage, more information, just better all around content for you all to appreciate. So stick with me, be patient, and hopefully it will all pan out. I'll be covering my first game back in Miami uh, on December 10th when they take on the Atlanta Hawks and then later on that week when they face the Los Angeles Lakers. So I'll be covering the rest of the games in December and hopefully the rest of the games of the year barring any unforeseen circumstances. So again, should be all great thanks for you all. But in the meantime, it's going to be a difficult week as this you know, move gets taken, taken, you know, completed. It's going to be a little troublesome, but hopefully you'll all stick around. And uh, if you have any questions or concerns, please continue to drop email, send me a content and any questions you might have via Twitter I'm always available, and hopefully I'll get around to them sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, Miami is still in the midst of their great season, currently 14-5. and And as I said, they were taking on the Toronto Raptors later this week. But we've already gotten some news for you all, which is that Goran Dragic is not available for the Raptors game. He's listed as out in the injury report provided to the NBA earlier Monday. He has a groin pull, not one that was evident against the, the in the win the other night. Uh, but apparently he sustained nonetheless uh, in the win against Brooklyn. He was sensational, as I mentioned in that recap, which you all should have listened to. He scored 24 points, looked great, did not seem injured, did not seem slowed down in any way, but apparently had a lingering twinge that might have uh, been exacerbated at some point when they were traveling, and either way, they decided not to play him against the Raptors. And so he will sit out that game, and hopefully he'll be available on Wednesday when the Heat take on the Celtics. In the short term, what does that mean? Well, Goran, again, his scoring punch is not going to be available for Miami. Um, Obviously, the Raptors' bench isn't their strong suit right now. They are deep. They are good. But they're not as potent uh, offensively as far as their second unit is concerned. Most of their strength comes from, well, uh, their MVP, which is Pascal Siakam. And they've also gotten some good scoring punch from Fred Van Vliet and others. So they're a good quality team. But right now, uh, unfortunately, Goran's absence 
is a problem for Miami, but it also leads me to the topic of my first segment, which is what's next for Justice Winslow. Uh, I've seen a lot of criticism about Justice, and I feel like it's important to address because he seems to be in a really weird place with his fan base. And it's kind of unusual to see because he's entering his fifth season now, and he's been a solid, if inconsistent player. Uh, I think we had high expectations for Justice coming into the season. He seemed to live up to those. Uh, The hope was that he was going to be the team's full-time point guard. But uh, obviously that hasn't worked out with injury and with Jimmy Butler dominating the ball so much. And so we haven't really seen the most out of Justice Winslow. Right now, he's coming off the bench. And that seems to be the best role for him currently. That's not to say that somewhere down the line, Eric Spolster will make a change. But for now, Winslow's coming off the bench. And that seems to be a a subject of some uh, soreness for a lot of listeners. And I'm not quite sure why. Uh, You know, I again... I understand that the hope was that he was going to be the full-time starter. He was going to be uh, perhaps a player on the rise, maybe even a borderline all-star type player. He hasn't been quite there yet. We haven't seen enough of his production this season because he did miss so many games due to the concussion that he sustained against the Denver Nuggets, Paul Millsap. And so we haven't seen the very best of Winslow, but we have seen some things from him, which are, I think, fairly positive and that he is providing the kind of impact defensively above all else uh, that he should be providing. And that's at an elite level Uh, against the Brooklyn Nets in the waning moments of a very, very close game. Winslow, along with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, provided a a three-headed monster on defense. And they were the very difference makers in that game. It could have been a very different score if either of those players had allowed Spencer Dinwiddie or Joe Harris or anybody on that Nets roster get to the basket a little bit more easily. But instead, they were all locked in. They all switched. They all played incredible defense. They all made things very difficult for whomever had the ball in their hands. And that's an important step for Justice particularly. And I think that's one of the things that we should hope for is that he's able to contribute in some ways. And I'll read this quote from a great piece over by uh, by Manny Navarro, formerly of the Miami Herald and now with The Athletic, who talked about Justice's role coming off the bench. And specifically this quote, from Eric Spolstra about Winslow's impact despite his poor offensive performance. Spolstra says, quote, he did about 20 different things in the second half to impose his will in the game and the clutch free throws just sealed it. He did a lot of things that just don't show up in the box score defensively. When they were really exposing us off the dribble in the first half, Justice was able to kind of shut that down. And when they were trying to take on mismatches, he was able to blow those up and switch out. So Spolstra clearly has faith in Winslow. And I think the expectation is that he's going to be a significant part of this team moving forward. I know I had mentioned it uh, or at some point earlier that I wasn't quite sure what Winslow's role was, that I, I would at least entertain some kind of trade scenario for him. But one of the things that Spolstra has said is that, uh, ultimately, he said this in context of Dion Waiters, actually, is that at some point down the season, because of injuries, because of m- matchup problems, because of other th- factors that we can't foresee just now in early December... These players will become impactful. They'll be important to the success of this team, whether it's Dion providing some versatility and some scoring punch off the bench, or potentially as a starter, or whether it's Justice doing those 20 different things that Spolstra mentioned. These are key contributors to a team uh, that has high hopes, that is a playoff team at this point, and will likely be one a high seed if they continue winning at this level. And that'll be because of guys like Winslow and others contributing at a high level. And so... You have to put that into context. I, I, look, 
I'll admit when I'm wrong, I'm not wrong very often, I like to say, but uh, in this case, I might have been wrong. I did not see exactly what Winslow's role would be. I thought, uh, you know, I was limited in my perspective in that he was going to be the kind of playmaker that we had seen during the first three games of the season when he was active before Jimmy returned to the lineup. And that hasn't been the case. He can be a secondary playmaker. And I think we'll start to see that in Toronto. And I think this is a good opportunity for him. With Goran sitting out, it provides a good opportunity for Justice to step up. Now, who's that secondary scorer? Because I don't think it's going to be Justice. I'm not sure who that's going to be, whether it's Kenny Olenek or perhaps uh, Tyler Hero. That seems the likeliest option, to be honest with you. So I could see a lot of playing you know, Winslow and Hero together and then Winslow creating those plays for Hero, especially... Um, you know, driving to the hoop and kicking out to a wide open tire here and, and then knocking down those shots because of Tyler's incredible shooting. And so that could be a very potent second unit there uh, against the Raptors and in the foreseeable future as well. So there is a role for Winslow. Uh, it may not be the one that I had expected or that a lot of you had expected, but I think it's fair to give him a chance and see what happens. Maybe a trade does happen down the road. Maybe he doesn't step up. Maybe he continues to to struggle offensively and the team ultimately decides that maybe they're ready to move on from him. But I don't I don't think that's the case, I'll be honest with you. Based on the comments that they've made there, there seems to be enough faith in Winslow and his impact and the things that he does, those winning plays that Eric Spolster loves talking about, that he can be a part of this team as a, a, a key defensive player, if nothing else. And, and that's that could be what we, we could get out of Winslow long-term too. I mean... His role that first season, if we all remember that, it was as a, a, despite the fact that he was a lottery player, that was a team with Goran Dragic who they acquired midway through the season with Dwayne Wade, uh, with Chris Bosh, etc. That was the the hope was that he was going to be just a guy who could contribute high level defense, that he could do lots of things, uh, shows a lot of versatility, etc. And that paid off, and that was why we had such high hope for for Justice was that he was going to be an impactful player and perhaps continue to rise. It's not always that easy for a player to take that next step. For Justice, it could be as a playmaker. It doesn't seem likely that it'll be as a scorer, but eventually that shot will start to fall and he'll be a little bit more steady on offense. But for now, at the very least, I think it's important to be patient with Justice. Uh, I don't like seeing the criticism, first of all. I'm not sure, and this is something I'll address in the next segment, is I I don't know what people expect out of Justice. He's not going to become a superstar overnight. and, And, you know, Bam Adebayo seems to conversely avoid a lot of this criticism, although he is not a superstar. He is not a potent scorer right now. He's limited offensively, uh, although he does make plays for others and he does so much. But Justice does those same things. He rebounds well. He makes plays for others. Uh, his shooting is a problem, but so is Bam's. And so I don't, I'm don't. i not sure exactly why Justice gets criticism and Bam does not. Uh, maybe if somebody wants to chime in and let me know exactly what the problem is. I understand Bam as a big man doing these things might be a little bit more different. The fact that he is a kind of quote-unquote unicorn that can do so much uh, is certainly, you know, it's different. Like I said, it's more unique in that sense. And, and so maybe that's why he avoids a lot of that criticism. I don't think either player should get criticized, to be honest with you. But I, I'm, I don't like it when it's diverted at either player and certainly not at Justice because I think he's rounding back from injury and that's going to take some time. Uh, in that same piece by Navarro, Goran Dragic talks about you know how difficult it was for him to come off the bench to make that adjustment late last season when he was coming back from his own injury, although it was a different injury. It's it's an adjustment. It's it's difficult for players to just kind of make uh, that change and to understand that they have different players to to play alongside to to you know play at a different style, different pace, all these things. And so 
I just preach patience. I think Justice can be a contributor. Maybe it's not to the same level that we had expected him to be. But either way, he's a valuable part of this team in some capacity. And that's better than nothing. And, and look, you cannot give up on a 23-year-old that has all this talent, that can't play defense at such a high level. And, and if nothing else, you know that's, that's a premium right there. To have a guy who can shut down one through five as well as he can is a great thing to have. And so... Let's just take it easy on some of the criticism of Justice. Let's accept him. Let's see where this season takes him. Uh, you know, only on his, his fifth season here, obviously, but still with room to grow. And I think it's important to just kind of take a step back and uh, and appreciate what he can contribute. Coming up next, what's the ultimate goal for Miami this season? You're listening to Locked on Heat. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. I'll look ahead to games against Toronto and Boston in the next segment. But first, I wanted to talk about some negative fan reaction that seems to be stemming from unclear expectations for the team. Uh, I know this is... Kind of a vague show, but it gives me an opportunity to talk about some of the things that I've seen floating around out there. I decided not to open it up to a mailbag this year, or sorry, rather this week, because I've seen a lot of the same questions coming in. But moreover, it's just it seems to be a good opportunity to to reassess where this team's at. It's a, a not necessarily the the quarter point of the season, obviously just game nineteen, but I think we've started to see enough trends here where we can kind of establish a little identity here, uh, some some opinions on where the team is moving forward. And, and there seems to be a, an increased amount of, I wouldn't say negativity outright, but there seems to be some skepticism and maybe even a little criticism of, of where the team is going and what's happening in this season. And I'm just not sure why that is. Similarly to my, my feelings on the criticism I've seen diverted at, uh, directed rather to justice, I'm not sure what the problem is with people looking at this team and saying that they're not winning enough, that they're not winning at a high level, and, and what the goals are for this team. Because I think if you had told anybody in August that they would be at 14-5, and five, that they would have the wins that they did, that they'd be able to play with the pace that we've seen, with the kind of fun you know, impact that they've had uh, offensively and defensively, that we've seen the things that we have. And that's with Jimmy Butler, their superstar, struggling offensively to some degree, I think we'd all be pretty happy with it. And yet now that we've gotten a little taste of the success, uh, there seems to be a lot of criticism in, in asking, you know, what the team is doing, whether or not they're not winning enough, whether or not they're struggling against good teams, things of that sort. And I, I don't I don't necessarily share in that negativity. I, I think this is a very good team. And if you ask me right now what the expectations for this group are, I'd say at the very least to make a playoff, to make the to make the playoffs, to potentially be a, a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, and that's as that's as good as you can possibly hope for. I think if that if they accomplish those things, to me anyway, that would be the hallmark of a successful season. And I know a lot of you don't see that. I think right now you've gotten this taste of the fourteen and five record and said, well, this could be a contending team. And I think those are a little unrealistic. Just consider the fact that you're. You're playing two rookies at a high level. That you're, you're, they're, they're getting so many minutes between Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero. That you're playing Duncan Robinson a significant amount of time. That you're incorporating Myers Leonard, who, you know, does a lot of things for this team that don't show up in the box score, but 
isn't a great player, was a backup for most of his career with the Portland Trailblazers. And, and the fact that Justice is not at the level that we expected him to be, that, that Jimmy has struggled offensively, etc., that Bam hasn't taken the quote-unquote superstar leap. All these things have happened, are happening, and yet this team is still playing at a high level. And to me, this seems like a successful thing to, 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 you know, to, to relish in. And I don't see that same kind of positivity. I see a little bit more negativity than I would have expected. And so I just ask, what what are the hopes for this team? What are the expectations that you all have? Is it, what would you rate as a successful season? Is it a title? Because that seems unlikely. I, I just, with the strength of the Lakers, with the strength of the Clippers, and even in the Eastern Conference with the Milwaukee Bucks being as good as they are, I'm not sure that Miami is there yet. I think Philadelphia is probably a better team. I think Toronto might be a better team. I think Miami can challenge those groups in in, in the Eastern Conference. I just don't know that it's a given that they're a title contending team right away. And so knowing that they are incorporating a superstar, that they have a superstar, that we've seen flashes from him that make us, well... That, that, that we haven't seen from a player in Miami's roster in years, that, that should be a fantastic thing to appreciate. Uh, and, and still, I see some criticism about Jimmy's offensive struggles and things of that sort, that we're incorporating these rookies and, and playing them a significant amount of minutes and that they're growing, that they're changing, that they're developing right before our eyes. These are all great things that we've continued to find players like Duncan Robinson and Chris Silva and others that maybe... We wouldn't have expected them to have this kind of impact. And here they are being positive players that can, in Robinson's case, shoot the lights out. Or Silva, you know, making all these high-impact plays, these high-energy plays. These are fantastic things to see. So, I mean, you're looking at a team that's well-rounded. It has a good mix of characters. That is fun. This is a locker room that you can tell there is a harmony there. Uh, They appreciate one another. There is no talk of selfishness. The Dion Waiter situation notwithstanding, there has been nothing but positivity out of this locker room all season long. It's a group that that seems to actually relish playing with one another, and I think that's important. So I look at this team and all that they've actually accomplished and all that they've actually done, and I'm content. I honestly think that this is a really great team, a good team, and that should be enough. And yet, between that, all I get questions about are trade possibilities about lineup changes. And now, as far as lineup changes are concerned, I think they'll come. I I think Eric Spolstra at game 19 of this season is still kind of figuring out what he has. Obviously, with Justice Winslow out of the lineup for most of that stretch, it's been a difficult adjustment for him to make. And, And so he's trying to figure out exactly what to do. The fact that Kendrick Nunn has been as polished a scorer as he is, and that Dion hasn't been part of this roster, that James Johnson hasn't been on this roster, has thrown Spolstra for a loop a little bit. He's kind of adjusting on the fly, trying to figure out who to play and when. I assume that at some point in the season, probably late in the season, we'll see a tweak to the lineup, whether that means starting Justice, potentially starting Kelly Olenek, maybe moving Tyler to the starting lineup. All these things are up in the air. There's still possibilities. I'm just not sure that we're going to see them immediately and that's fine Uh, we have to trust that Spolstra is seeing something in practices in these game situations that maybe we're not seeing Uh, there should be a balanced mix and right now you've got a good potential roster there of, of versatile players that can do a lot of different things and so he'll find that right balance at some point it just might not be immediately and I don't think it needs to be either again as long as they're continuing to win we shouldn't be pushing for any kind of immediate change because 
well, they're being successful regardless. And as far as trades are concerned, I mean, the Dion situation seems to have thrown everybody off, not just Spolstra, but I think this fan base as well, because I think there was hope that Dion would be a score, the kind of role that Kendrick Nunn is filling. And I think a lot of people probably inaccurately see him as a malcontent or a problem in the locker room. He hasn't been that. Everybody in the locker room loves Dion. He's not the issue there as far as that locker room is concerned. Maybe from the coaching staff, that's a different story, and definitely from the front office. But as far as Dion's overall impact, you know, he can be a positive contributor there. I don't think it's a situation that we need to be beating him up or needlessly for any reason. I think he's he hasn't done anything overtly to to throw this fan base out of whack. I mean, and and so because he hasn't been playing much and because James Johnson hasn't been playing much, I can understand why people would say, well, let's trade those players and let's see what we can get for them. Well, the reality is you're not going to get much. Both of them are probably slightly overpaid based on their actual skill set, based on their, you know, respective ages. You know, Dion's a little younger, obviously, so he can still be a contributor elsewhere if he had that opportunity, but he's just not going to get it because I think he's developing that negative reputation. Um, and, and so a lot of teams are probably shying away from the opportunity to take him on, given his injury history and everything else. And as far as James Johnson is concerned, I don't know that a lot of a lot of teams are going to want to take on his skill set at his current salary, knowing that he has another year left on his contract. Maybe next year that'll be a different situation, but... I just don't know that a trade is a viable option. It's fun to talk about. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with all of you. I understand hypothetical trade situations are, are fun topics, especially in December when uh, maybe it's the slow part of the season and you're kind of looking ahead. And knowing Pat Riley, as we do, he's probably thinking about a million different moves. But for now, I think he's also content seeing where this team goes. I don't think he needs anything. Unless there's a, a midseason swoon where they lose, let's say, 8 out of 10 games, maybe 10 out of 15 or something like that, I don't think that they're going to really start entertaining any kind of trade notions because right now everything is working out so well. Because they're playing at such a high level, I think we can kind of pump the brakes a little bit on any hopes for a trade because I just don't see them as necessary right now. I don't think this front office does either. Uh, would a trade potentially you know, for a superstar help push the ceiling of this team? Yeah, absolutely, but... It's not like superstars are available all the time. They become available at some points, and, and there are 29 other teams that think they have a good case to acquire those same superstars. This isn't free agency. And even in free agency, we've seen Miami strike out in the past. So there's no givens here when it comes to acquiring a superstar. We have one on the roster in Jimmy Butler. We have a potential one in Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo. And I think with that in place, you have a good core there. You have something that you should appreciate. So... For me, I'm, I'm, you know, again, I, I know this is perhaps a little unexpected, but I, I feel like we should all be a little bit more positive about where the season's been, where it's going, and what the expectations for this team can be because they've accomplished much more than we had expected. I'm like, I would have guessed at best that this might be a 49, possibly a 50 win team. They're on pace to exceed that. And if that's the case, then this will be a very, very good team, a very, very good season. And we should take pride in that. As, as fans, as media, as people that watch this team as regularly as we do, I know there is an overwhelming sentiment that it's us against the world because especially the national media doesn't necessarily understand this team. Well, 29 other fan bases feel the same way about their own respective teams. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Right now, this team is playing well. Everybody's getting along. They're playing a fun style of basketball, and that's a lot to appreciate and, and, and enough for us to, I think, in December, be content with. Coming up next, 
The next two games are against Eastern Conference rivals, but do they even matter? You're listening to Locked on Heat. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. So, as I mentioned before, let's look ahead to the matchups against the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics, Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. Toronto's a very good team, uh, unexpectedly so. I didn't think that they were going to be as strong a unit with the absence of Kawhi Leonard. I thought it was going to take them longer to rebuild. I thought they would be a little... I thought, honestly, that they would be a little lazy. I, I didn't think that they would necessarily push themselves to this point where they'd have to... where they'd be so intent on proving themselves... Uh, as a team, but Pascal Siakam has been a huge surprise for this group. I think he is not a legitimate MVP candidate right now, although some might argue otherwise, particularly Raptors fans. But the things that he's doing are, are fantastic. He's taken another leap, even after he's already accomplished as much as he did last year. He is still a candidate for most improved player this year, even after having won it last year. And so that that's pretty remarkable. No player in NBA history has ever done that. And so he's taking a leap to that superstar level uh, when many people did not expect that there was another level for him to reach. Um, and, and with that, with Kyle Lowry going out to injury and Fred Van Vliet stepping up, they've just been able to take their game to another level. OG Anunoby has had a breakout season as a defender, as a scorer. He's been a lot more aggressive offensively. Um, so that Raptors team is very, very good. And uh, they, they look like, if not legitimate contenders, again, because I don't know that any team in the East other than Milwaukee and Philadelphia is a legitimate title contender. But I would put Miami, Boston, and Toronto within the same tier. And and I think it's interesting that we're going to see this right now, uh, the next three, the next two games, we're going to see these three teams kind of going up against one another. And, and it should be a fun matchup on both occasions. I wouldn't expect much out of Miami with the loss of Goran Dragic traveling to Toronto. It's going to be a very difficult challenge for them to knock off this Raptors team because they are very good at home. And, and knowing that, it, there's going to be a lot of work for them to do just to eke out of there with a win. Uh, Toronto can put the points up very at a high level. They can defend at a high level as well. So they're definitely going to be a challenge. Boston, on the other hand, is not as strong a group. Obviously, they're going through their own injury issues. Um, they've lost Gordon Hayward for a chunk of the season. He won't be available on Wednesday. They're still figuring out their lineup. Um, they've got players in and out for the most part. And uh, they've done a pretty good job. They've exceeded their expectations as well, I think, because you know when they lose Kyrie Irving, perhaps the feeling is that they've lost some star power. But in reality, they've meshed as a unit. They look very cohesive. They play very well. They've had they have moments there where you can see obvious weaknesses with this group, which is why I think I put them in the same tier along with Toronto and Miami, and that they're not a legitimate contender per se, but they're a strong team, and so it's going to be an interesting matchup. But one of the things we've seen from Miami is that on the second night of back-to-backs against good teams, they can't struggle. So it's going to be difficult for Miami to win either of these games. Personally, I don't expect it. If I had to go on record right now saying what I thought, what I would think about the next two games, I'm predicting both losses, to be honest with you. And, and, and the next thing I'm going to say is that it doesn't really matter. Um, if you look at the record against teams over 500 last season, the Milwaukee Bucks were actually 
28 and 13. They had the best record in the league last year. They were 28 and 13 against teams over 500. They finished with 60 plus wins. They obviously were a very, very good team. Ultimately, it didn't matter. They did not advance past the Eastern Conference. They did not go to the finals. Um, and, and we never know how injuries are going to play out. They made some late season additions. None of that mattered. They won against good teams. Still, it wasn't a factor. Toronto, conversely, was just 22-20 and 20 against teams over 500. Philadelphia, another contending team that was one Kawhi Leonard shot in Game 7 away from advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially even going on to win a title, was 22-21, and 21, just one game over 500 against teams over 500 last season. Those were the three best teams in the Eastern Conference, and, and with the exception of Milwaukee, neither of them stood out against teams over 500. Miami is currently three and five against teams over 500. That could be three and seven by the end of this road trip. And you think that Miami will have plenty of opportunity down the stretch when they play more home games. When they when these teams come back to Miami, when Philadelphia comes back to Miami, uh, when Milwaukee plays at Miami, etc. Miami will be able to raise that record against 500 teams. And as long as they continue to hold their own, I still like their their possibilities in a seven game series. And so. What we're seeing right now as far as they're struggling against teams over 500, it's on the road. It shouldn't necessarily matter. The, the the record doesn't matter. I think the small things matter, the details, the fact that Philadelphia played Bam out of bio the way they did, the fact that uh, you're not sure what's going to happen with the offense when that three-point shot isn't falling. Those are concerns that, you know, if, if you remove Bam Adebayo's uh, passing ability and the, the you know, players aren't moving off ball, they're not cutting with that same kind of frequency, then the offense turns to bog down a little bit. Those are concerns, not against 500 teams. That, that they would happen against any team is the problem. But for now, Miami's figuring out a way to beat up on the teams that they should. And that's that speaks volumes there. So I, I think as much as we'd like to see them beat up against the, beat up the, the best teams in the league, I don't think it necessarily matters. Right now, they're 11 and 0 against teams over five uh, under 500. Um, so are the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Toronto Raptors are 12 and 0 against teams like that. Last season, it was a completely same, similar story. Milwaukee was 32 and 9 against teams below 500. Toronto 36 and 4. Philadelphia 29 and 10. So you're starting to see these trends here. Beating up the teams, the best teams in the league, doesn't really matter because a seven-game series changes the dynamic consistently. It's about finding ways to, to exploit matchups, about coaching changes, about making adjustments, about players taking their games to another level. And, and that's that's really ultimately what matters. As long as Miami can gain home court advantage, and there's a possibility that they can, their record against 500 teams or teams over 500 shouldn't matter as much during the regular season. And it's also ultimately just the regular season, so you can dismiss that as much as you want to. But it's about a goal, which is to get playoff, uh, high seeding in the playoffs contention. And then once they do get into that series, making the most of those opportunities, staying healthy, finding a way to minimize a certain player. And I think Miami's chances against like a Milwaukee are pretty good because Giannis Antetokounmpo does so much for that team. But you have Bam Adebayo. You have Justice Winslow, potentially. You have James Johnson, potentially. Guys that can play defense against Giannis to limit what he does, you know, not necessarily stop him because I don't think anybody can stop out of Kumpo other than, you know, 25 feet and beyond. The reality is he's going to get his points one way or the other. He's going to get to the line, etc. But you can stop a lot of what he does 
And if that's the case, you like Miami's chances in those series. And I think, again, I didn't even mention Jimmy Butler as another option, but he's a guy who's certainly up for that challenge. And so let's, you know, let's not worry too much about the next two games. I I know a lot of people are probably going to be a little concerned if and when Miami does lose those games. Either way, uh, we can start to look for trends. We can start to look for specific details that might be a concern for Miami moving forward. But the win-loss necessarily against uh, good teams like Toronto and Boston shouldn't matter as much. It's a fun exercise. You want to watch these teams play well against the best teams in the league. But the fact that they might not doesn't necessarily mean anything in the long term. And it certainly doesn't mean anything regarding playoff success. So, as I mentioned before, this week's going to be a little tricky for me. I probably won't have a recap following the Raptors game. Win or lose, but I'll be back Wednesday night after the Heat take on the Celtics to close out that road trip. So thank you for being patient once again. But that's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Rumel signing off. Thank you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Wrap it up, B. Um.